Hello and welcome to episode 7 in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Alex and I'm your host. And my name is Dan and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. On today's episode, we're joined by Pat, who is an experienced customer success leader in MarTech and is now Chief Customer Officer at GoCardless. Well, Pat, thank you for joining firstly. Yeah, um, great to be here. Nice and early on Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, really, I mean, we've been both pretty excited to have you as a guest. Uh, we've seen you a lot over LinkedIn. So it would be great if you could just start off maybe by giving a quick introduction. Yeah, happy, yourself. happy to. Um, well, I currently uh, am Chief Customer Officer at GoCardless. Um, been here for about five months now. Um, so my kind of journey into this role has been pretty varied. Um, started off usual path, really. Left university and, and got the first kind of job that paid reasonably well in recruitment. I uh, realized after a year and a half, it wasn't necessarily for me, like the lifestyle at the time, but not necessarily the uh, the effort involved in it. Um, but really, uh, at that stage, just always had a kind of a hankering to do something myself. So myself and my friend co-founded a company and did that for about seven years. Um, made every mistake possible. Um, you know, this is the days before we work or any kind of funding. Uh, learned a hell of a lot, but realized again after that period that it probably wasn't either the right time or, or necessarily right for me. So um, we parted ways and I joined a company called to Verve at the time, which became Taleo, which became Oracle. So that was kind of my first foray into what was then account management. It actually started kind of evolving into customer relationship management from account management, but it still basically was, was account management without without calling it that to make it sound like you're not trying to sell to somebody when in actual fact you are. Um, and then really the, the, the career progressed from there into Bizarre Voice. I joined Bizarre Voice in, in January 2010. And, um, and yeah, over that six years, really, that's where, you know, customer success really became a thing. Um, before then, it, it actually wasn't necessarily called that. It was, uh, I think, client services, we called it at the time, and then it evolved into community management and into customer success. Um, so I had a great time there and um, left there in, I think it was 2016, and joined Brandwatch. And that was really my first global role. Um, Brandwatch down in Brighton, a fantastic company, um, social media monitoring. Um, and uh, over the three and a half year period that I was there, really built out a, a global team. Actually, that's not fair. The global team was already there, uh, created a global team is probably the best way to put it, um, you know, from, from individual silos. Um, and yeah, and, and joined GoCardless six months ago. Um, very lured by the, the industry, uh, very different. You know, I grew up in MarTech. I know how to deal with renewals. I know how to deal with, you know, annual contracts. But now we're sort of plunged into a world of, of um, uh, you know, revenue by transaction, um, it is about volume rather than, than actual you know, yearly contracts, or it has been. But the organization is now really moving into the enterprise space, which is why uh, this role has been created. And really just to have that, to, to build that muscle memory of, of SaaS B2B customer success uh, from what effectively has been, realistically, I guess you could call it a, a B2C in terms of how it actually operates, how we have operated in the past 50,000 customers. Um, you know, businesses ranging from single individuals right up to multinationals. So that's exciting. Um, and so far, so good. Fantastic. And I think you kind of touched on it there, but 
interesting moving from like the kind of B to B Martech side to more of a B to C yeah. element. What's been what's been the biggest challenge with that move? I think the biggest challenge as a customer success professional who is used to, you know, the I, I would call it the standard flow of, of customer interaction, to move from that to transaction has been really, really interesting for me. And I knew it was going to be a challenge, just even psychologically. I haven't had, you know, 15 years of um, renewals at a particular point in time. Um, you know, a lot of what I used to do was volume-based, but but it was ultimately, um, I guess, uh, superseded by the fact that it was a 12-month contract. So you sort of knew you had time, whereas you have no time here. Um, and the second one is how much can you actually influence those transactions and those volumes? That's a really interesting one. Um, with the likes of Bizarre Voice or Brandwatch, you knew your sole goal was to ensure that uh, customers would use the platform. Um, and you could you could influence that by literally physically sitting in front of them or training them or you know whatever that took. Whereas we're sort of feels like we're one 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 step removed. We sell to our merchants, our merchants sell to their customers. So really, our success is is dependent on our customers' customers using yeah. the platform. It's interesting actually because one of the questions we've been asking is what is customer success, and I guess that's kind of as you, as you mentioned there. Essentially, for more of like a B two B, the role is sometimes just getting people to use the product yeah. more. But I guess with the sort of current role at Go Cardless, what is the role of customer success? It's that's exactly what we're defining right now. So it's evolved. It is evolving from what I would call customer experience into customer success. And there's a very clear line. Uh, one actually that before I joined, I wouldn't have understood it to be so clear. But customer experience is, is so, so UI, UX based. Um, it really is understanding and minimizing the journey, uh, taking every single pain point. It, it, it is more of an e-commerce kind of conversation. You know, it is like, how quickly can they get through the site? What's the point of entry? What's the point of exit? Where's the drop off? Um, whereas, you know, in, in, in customer success, in it's, I guess, its truest form, these are not the kind of things that you obsess about on a day-to-day basis. You're really worrying about adoption, but but it's usually human adoption. It's usually trying to drive a behavior um, rather than uh, a sort of a simplicity, let's say, of, of of journey. Now, it does play a part in it, obviously. You know, you, if your technology is difficult and hard to use, people are not going to use it. But at the same time, the behavioral-driven aspect was pretty significant. So that's that, to me, is the is the subtle difference. For me... I think what we do and what the, how I see the, this is very much around, um, like I say, UX versus behavior. Um, and if I was to really sum up what I see customer success as, both internally and externally, yes, the outcome is obviously where you want to get to. But the focus on behaviors and driving and changing behaviors is, is, is critical and, and incredibly difficult to do. In a world where, you know, you're usually dealing with one individual who might have 17 different priorities and perhaps 14 different pieces of technology that deal with those 17 priorities. So you're looking for mindshare and, and kind of heads, headspace, I guess is the word. Like, how do, you, how, how do you do that in a world where you don't have that direct access all the time to the individuals who ultimately define the success of the product? 
So that's an interesting challenge. Yeah, I can imagine that is the, the biggest challenge that you guys are currently facing, especially like you say, internally and for your current customers as well. I guess the internal view is, as you said, really, because you're not working on standard contracts in the, the traditional sort of SaaS um, environment, I guess it's then understanding what are the behaviors that the, the CSMs need to do. So, you know, there won't be the standard month one, two, three is the adoption and the onboarding, then four, five, six is, you know, going into the um, QBRs, et cetera. So are you trying to get that to a stage where you can standardize yeah, those options? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of, of, of everything, really. I mean, you know, it goes back to the conversations around different engagement types, the different engagement models. You know, the, we have one incredible customer base, and within that customer base, there are many different ways to consume our, our product. So my job is to define what they are and then apply the, the correct resources on top of that and, and, and not to do it by rote or by, by sort of playbook or to use the, the, the American phraseology like cookie cutter. It, it really is sort of understanding that within each of those segments, there's many different ways to drive value. Um, the the question I guess I always uh, obsess about is like what is that value like at what point do you can you well can you stand back and say okay I I, I feel like that's the the sort of end game or the end goal because it is so varied in each in each um, in each segment um, so that's kind of what's exciting for us right now and we're on that that journey really um, and and it's not often you get an opportunity to build pretty much you know from scratch. We have a, an incredible uh, support engine. We've got an amazing CX function. So really all I'm trying to do is to, to add another dimension to that um, and then to, 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 to make sure that it's, it's under the umbrella of how we engage with our customers, not, not necessarily different um, sort of brands of that. It's like it is one umbrella of which you can, you can have multiple flavors, I guess. Yeah, makes sense. And... So obviously you, you mentioned you're sort of five or six months into yeah. the, the new role as CCO. Um, what else is, does that encompass? So obviously you have the, the CS team, but are there any other um, teams yeah. that are working with you? So basically my, my function right now incorporates customer success, um, what we call onboarding, which I mean call it engagement, project management, but, but fundamentally onboarding our customers. Um, uh, we have a, a pretty extensive support team and the customer experience group. So we have a, a dedicated team who, who really again obsess about just understanding what that experience looks like um, how do we maintain quality how do we make sure we train for it how do we make sure we we, we keep that bar high so that's the the the, the group as a whole um, <clears throat> and and really the last particularly the last two months has been building the brand of customer success within the org because I think that's something that a lot of people don't spend enough time on um, it's one thing to say we have a, a CS function it's another thing to branded basically and i'm a big believer in particularly in our part of the world um in cs <clears throat> you know we're storytellers i mean that's that's the, the the crux of the job it's like how are you pitching it how are you positioning it it doesn't happen just overnight um and and for it not to be something that's just you know uh, like i think i said to you guys when we originally spoke like a slide deck or a, a, a a nice logo, you know, and, and, and I've, I've, you know, I, I struggle with that even here because we do have a nice logo, you know, we do have a nice <laughs> catchphrase, but at the same time, it's got to be backed up with something tangible. And then, you know, the other side to that is really just making sure that, that the organization as a whole at executive level are aligned with what the, the group is trying to achieve. So, you know, again, what are the metrics? What are the KPI? Like, what does, 
what does good look like in 12 months' time? Um, and that's really interesting. It's really interesting for a scale startup, effectively, which is what we are as well, because things change so quickly. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and do you think there's any major differences, you know, given what we've just been explaining between uh, the challenge of getting people to buy into what CS is compared to, you know, when you were at somewhere like Brandwatch, for example, compared to doing that in an organization like uh, GoCardless? Yeah, yeah, I think it's down to evolution. So I've probably, my career thus far at leadership level has been backing into existing uh, CS functions. Uh, that's not the case here. So that, that's, a, that's an interesting one because you don't have the preconceptions or you don't have the baggage of what might have worked or what might not have worked. You're, you're, you're pretty much starting from scratch. Now, the flip side to that is there is another education process, which is, you know, why are you here? Like, fundamentally, that's the question I have to answer every day. Why am I here? What, am, what purpose do I serve? You know, we, we have incredibly smart people out there. They can quite comfortably do their job every day. Um, and, and the business will, will work. So, again, what is that differentiator? So, I think... For me, that's the biggest difference that I've seen. Just as I, I joined Brandwatch, I stepped from a European role into a global role. That was a big difference. So how do you engage a team who's based in New York or San Francisco or Singapore or APAC? And, and, and that was a challenge, but it was one I wanted. This is the next type of challenge, which is, okay, there is no framework here. There's no frame of reference. Um, and then on top of that, you, know, you don't have the processes. You don't have the, the structure. When we talk about churn, are we actually talking about the same thing? How do we measure that? And it's, it's fascinating. And, and every time you think you've got something figured, something else pops up. And it's just the speed that you've got to work with. But it is fundamentally coming back to basics, just like everything in our industry. Stop trying to be too smart. Stop trying to get op- optimized for, for optics, I guess. And, and actually just make sure you've got the fundamentals in place. And that's really where I'm... It's where I start and finish, really. Interesting. I guess with the fundamentals, what are some of those fundamentals that you're focusing on? Yeah, it depends on what you're talking about, really. I mean, there's fundamentals of a team, there's fundamentals of the individuals you hire, fundamentals of leadership. For me, I think the first place I start with is the fundamentals of the team itself. So, you know, what is the vision? What is the mission? How real is it? Um, How co-created is it? Is it something that people can actually articulate very simply? Um, and are they willing to stand behind that? So as any CS leader, if that's not one of the first things you do when you join your organization, then you're always going to be trying to catch up with that. Um, and that, to me, goes back to that fundamentals of, of understanding what you're there to do and what the team is there to do. If, if people are not audible ready on that within your team and outside your team, you have a problem. So we, we suffer from that in this industry enormously. Like, So what does a CSM do? I mean, I've had those conversations a billion times. What if we got rid of the CSM team? Like, how how how... How different would, a, would it be for us? And, and it's a really hard question to answer unless people fundamentally understand why you're there. And again, I'm, I'm, I, I repeat myself over and over again in every job I've ever had. Every presentation I start with has the vision, mission, purpose. And I don't care how sick people are of hearing about it because you have to continue reiterating that constantly. So I think that's the first step for me. What are your guiding principles? You know, And everything kind of stems from there. I think we're very good at in this industry of, of tools and tactics and, and you know, things that, that, that look like they help you on a day-to-day basis. But we, we have to start raising the conversation way much, much higher. 
because we we own you know a big part of the business and and we're we're on the hook for a big part of the business so we need to have a little bit of swagger around that as far as the individuals are concerned this is something i think that again i think a lot about at csm level let's i guess we're talking about csms here particularly um and it extends to some degree to the actual individual type um but from a csm perspective um i usually look for you know three core behavioral traits the first one is I want someone who's provocative. I want someone who is not scared to be in a really sort of almost like a, a standoff uh, from a customer's perspective because they know what they're talking about and they know that they need to be listened to. And they have the confidence to do that. Now, you earn the right to be provocative, and that's my job to train you to make sure that you have the skills. But that's really important for me because we, we, we talk too much about you know, partnerships and, and um, you know, trusted uh, whatever. Like, it, it's all nice. It's all nice stuff. But in honesty, my experience of, of my job in the last 12 years, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, a lot of it's not that nice, right? A lot of it is actually really tough. What we do is hard. We, as I say, we compete for mind space, mind share, whatever you want to call it. And to do that, you, you have to be like Amazon. Like, you have to be like, you know, Sachi and Sachi would approach it like you've got to be aggressive in, in a productive way so that's the first thing for me the second thing is is just incredibly inquisitive like I want somebody who is just constantly trying to learn constantly trying to pick things up you know constantly questioning you know does that work this is not working QBR is not working how do we rebuild like we have I've got no interest in, in people who just um do the same thing yeah so a bit of a realist essentially just yeah kind of challenging absolutely what's absolutely working totally it's and um it's, it's quite funny you say the word inquisitive that's exa- exactly what i wrote down as soon as you started explaining yeah. what you meant by provocative yeah. i think um someone before has explained it around they have a, a process that they define as uh, qbq so the question behind the question which yeah. i think is is basically the same um yeah. what why is the client asking for that why is someone internally asking for that process what's um, how can we better improve the way we're currently doing things? I separate the two very distinctly, though, because this is where I, I, I will always challenge. Process is one thing. Action is another. So I could give you 50 different processes and call them whatever you want. But if, if, if someone's not sitting in a room with a, a C-level executive and are willing to ask the question behind the question, that's where it falls down. Because And, and, that, and that's where I think... It, what I love to see are people who you know are actually doing that. So provo- pro- provocative means having the ability to actually do that one-to-one in a room. Inquisitive is having the uh, um, the uh, drive to want to do that and have the questions behind that. So those two things are inextricably linked. And the best CSMs, the best customer success professionals, I'd say the best professionals I've, uh, across the board, can do those two things very distinctly and very connectedly. Um, And our job, my job, is to train for that. So we do an awful lot of training, but we do a lot of war room type training. We don't we don't do the the the, the inner room and, and reading the screen. It's like it, it it's some of it's pretty intense. I mean, I remember we did one a year and a half ago down in Brighton for the whole global CSF team, CSM team, and it was it was really tense. So it was a simulation, basically, where you know some people were customers, some people were um, uh, CSMs. Uh, they were allowed one phone call to ask three questions before they went into the QBR. It was filmed. It was review. I mean, it was really heavy duty stuff. But it's it's like sport. You know, you don't train for a big game by by simulating it. You you do it by getting chopped down and 
punched and that's how it works. That's how it works. So they're the two core things for me. I mean, they're without a doubt the two areas. And then the third one is really more, I guess, softer, but equally as important. And that's where just the whole one of our one of our non-negotiables. We don't I don't talk about really cultural values in our team. We call I talk about non-negotiables and one of them is around ego. You know, it just doesn't live. And I think if you have somebody who's really egoless in the context of the team and the business and the customer who is incredibly inquisitive, who doesn't settle for mediocre, and who has the ability to execute on that every single time, you generally find uh, gold dust there. And and to me, they're the everything else. I couldn't care who you know, what you did, where you come from. It's utterly immaterial if you don't have those three things. Would you say that's definitely something that you can teach or do you have to hire for that based on... Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think you can teach the inquisitiveness, if that's the right word. Um, That's, I don't think, actually, no, I I don't think you can teach it, but you can create an environment where that's the bar and, and, you know, people will fail or people will succeed, but at least they know what they're getting themselves into. I think the first point around provocation is something that I have to create as a leader because it's very difficult to get into that scenario if you're not existing in a safe environment at work. So, for example, I know that if that there's a high probability that I may have a customer call me and potentially escalate for the way somebody asked them a question or, you know, it felt like they were being this, that and the other. Now, as long as I know that person wasn't like that and as long as I know perhaps a customer isn't you know, thrilled because we were asking some very tough questions. I'm okay with that. I'll call, I'll have their back. Um, and that's important because why would you take that risk if you're coming back into your office and you're getting slammed because, you know, you did this, you did that. Or, or indeed, the information you've just received is not good news. So why would I do that? Why would I come back and say X, Y, Z is at risk and then get into all sorts of trouble for that? Like, so that, that's a leadership thing. You've got to create that environment and, and it underpins everything. And I think the ego side of it, you can't train it, you can't teach it. That's that's purely natural. It, it, it It's absolutely ingrained in people. Uh, what you've got to be careful of is it comes in different forms. So where I see a lot of struggle is the difference between lack of ego uh, and confidence or confidence and arrogance. Like I love confident people. You can have egoless, very confident people. But again, if you're not setting that expectation in the org as to that's what that looks like, it can be misinterpreted for arrogance or, but but you can get that. I've, I've had that many, many times. Um, so it's a little bit of a, a mix of everything. Yeah. And I guess on the training side though, I mean, that's something I love like hearing that you guys do the sort of role play simulations. Yeah. Because we, I guess going back to my first job, which was a sales role, um, started on a graduate scheme. Yeah it was very intense with the role play training and it is almost like i think you can compare it to like boxing or yeah it's any any sports yeah yeah you can't you can't necessarily learn it until you're actually doing it so boxing you can only hit a bag for so long but until you actually get in the ring get punched in the face well that's the the phrase isn't that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face was mike tyson like i mean it's so true so true and uh i can kind of see how that relates in in sort of what we do in, in CS and, and with regards to kind of having role plays because yeah. a lot of people can hide in an office environment if you're yeah. not kind of doing that. So what what are the sort of steps that you take to put together like a really good training plan for a CSM? Yeah, well, again, that varies a lot. So we're 
when I look at from from a CSM training point of view, the the fundamentals that I I focus on, and we're actually kicking one off next week with our guys. Is the first one we're going to have. There's there's it varies between four to five different strands uh, as a CSM, and I see it very much along similar lines to sales. Um, the first one is around champion building and identification. So we spend a lot of time on that because that's one of my um, one of my sort of three um, uh, core elements of any successful sort of customer. You, you don't have a champion, you, you're, you're dead, right, across the board. doesn't matter how good the product is, doesn't matter how great you are. So we spend a lot of time on that. The second part is what we call BR excellence, so business review, EBR, QBR, whatever you want to call it, but really deeply understanding like what does a good structure look like and stop asking stupid questions or stop just throwing up and showing up, you know? Um, nobody really cares. Like executives don't care that you got 42 lo- users that logged in over the last month. Or, you know, it, it's, it's pointless. So what I try and do there is, is everywhere I've gone is try to rebuild that process because it's all different. There's no playbook for it. There's zero playbook for it. So that's exciting and I like doing that. And when we have that, then we insert some sort of gates so you know every the only consistent for anyone i've ever done is is the, the last slide is the question would you renew that's it like simple question but it is part of the capture process as well in the tech we've used to support the csm so in there will be that question with a tick box yes no have you asked will they renew within the last three months so i i can report on that it's kind of keeping it basic though right because it's like how many measures do you need just to ask that one question how much time is wasted trying to guess that again i i grew up in sport i i I played it myself to a pretty high level every single team who achieved anything concentrates on the beautiful basics they go back to basics um I remember the All Blacks playing in the, the World Cup final, uh, I think it was in, in New Zealand that time, and I read Richie McCall's autobiography, and with six minutes to go, there were three three points ahead, I think, and every single man in that team was trained to do the basics well. He said literally from picking up the ball to moving two steps forward, like that's all they were thinking about, and these are some of the most talented players in the world. Only thing they care about was do not drop the ball, do not drop the ball, and I think if you apply that into any business scenario, it stands well. So so they're kind of the first two areas we look at, uh, champion building and, and real, real excellence in that area. The third area is around what I call deep discovery. So how do you, how do you really understand your, your, your customers? Why are you asking the questions you're asking? Um, have you earned the right, basically, to sit in front of them? Because we can be very flippant about this stuff. I mean, how many people, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people listening to this will, you know, got a, uh, an on-site in two days' time, you start prepping two days before or a day before, or you go to the deck you did for your customer for the last DBR and just insert name here. And that's fine. I, we've all done that. But the people who drive change and engage well are the people who realize that you earned the right to sit in front of these customers. So when we train in that, really that's about understanding the customers, understanding the market, going into that meeting with something that they don't know that's what I would really phrase that like. How do you get somebody across the desk sitting there thinking, oh, I didn't know that, or I need to know that, or that's interesting. They may not say it to you. They may never show it to you, but that should be your, your challenge. In sales, they call it standing and you're make, ma- making a customer stand in their moment of pain. It's that point where you realize as a, as a potential prospect, oh, if I don't do this, 
something bad's going to happen. And and that's we're kind of the same. It's like you bought this, you're not using it. Why? Like what's the next thing? Uh and I know it it it, it sounds simple, but it's not. Um but it's very effective and if you if CSMs if we're not doing that, then it's very hard to to figure out like where we spend our time. Um and then really the the third area or fourth area rather for me is around um excellence in account planning at risk management. Um one of the one of the areas that I've always felt has been overlooked is um the process around forecasting risk because it's kind of a dirty word risk, you know. Uh, again going back to safety. Um we don't like talking about it because it doesn't sound like we know what we're doing if we're starting to talk about risk. Uh but it's there and and we have to embrace it. Uh and swarm all over it. Um and if you're not able to do that, you know, if you're in sales and you miss forecast three quarters in a row, you're in trouble. Right? We should be no different. You've got a portfolio, you've got opportunities which are renewals. You should be able to forecast the inherent risk, best case, worst case commit on all of your portfolio every quarter. So in parallel with everything, we've always run a really tight risk forecasting process through Salesforce or um, well, predominantly through Salesforce. And it's quite compelling, actually, because, you know, the, the, the Salesforce goes up on the screen and the team are in the room. And I don't care about the narrative. I want a best case, worst case and a commit. It's all I ask from you. And and it takes a long time to move away from uh, a bit of a story behind everything because I trust you. I don't need the story. I need your commit. And and it changes the mentality. And then you start to see, oh, I need a champion. I need to have good conversations. I need to understand. Like, it, it kind of works back from that. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess it's then, you know, the, the three previous elements of the training. Absolutely. They're just the checklist, essentially. They, they? they do, really do are. Your champions? The lagging, the lagging uh, output of doing those three things really, really well is you know your portfolio and then a commit should be easy. And then, you know, everything goes wrong every now and again. You get good, you get bad. I get that. But going back to what I talked about earlier on, the basics, if you're not doing the basics well, then, you know, as, as a CS leader, you got to be less tolerant of things going wrong because that feels, there's a difference between things going wrong predictably or uncontrollably. And it's the uncontrollable bit that I think we all have a little bit too much of. Yeah, definitely. And do you think just on the subject of, of hiring people for you know, doing those kinds of processes. Um, are there any sort of technical skills or, or backgrounds that you tend to look for? Or yeah. do you take the approach of if they have those uh, personality traits, yeah. if we do that training process, then we can teach yeah. We can teach all of those. I think for me, what I want to see is a, is a history of, of the first two, the being provocative and, and uh, being really inquisitive. Um, so really a lot of it is, is based on, well, some of it's gut feel. You can just tell when you meet people sometimes. Some of it's taken a punt on people. Um, but we do a presentation process um, that's pretty in-depth. Um, and from my perspective, I, I know what I'm looking for, as does the team, you know, beginning, middle, and end. Um, what are you actually here to do? We, we set the scenario. It's just very interesting to see how people approach that. Some people go in with, you know, 20 slides. Some go in with two. Uh, and you can just see the mindset. And, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for somebody who wants to show off to use my, my uh, you know an Irish phrase uh, but I'm looking for someone who is actually in that room to find something else out than they went into in the first place if that makes sense yeah absolutely so the best guys will have some questions in there the best guys will little things like running through the agenda and asking is there anything here you feel we're missing 
or is this the right order? Like, you know, th- that's the kind of thing that I want to see from people because if there is and you haven't asked, you, you're going to waste 40 minutes of someone's time. So that's that's really what I look for. And then, you know, you, you train the hell out of people when they come in. Yeah, and I think it's also going back to your point as well. Like if that were to be a real life example, maybe they're in a QBR. Yeah. If they deliver the presentation in the same format and they're not asking those questions, they've probably missed the opportunity. And then they might then wonder the next time they try and book in yeah. a meeting with the same client, they wonder why they don't reply yeah. to them. It's probably yeah. because the first time you didn't give them any value from that meeting. So they just, yeah, they have no interest in... And it's easy. It's easy to do that. We can all do that. You know, I can do that. Give me any company with any technology that I've never looked at before. And I can do a QBR where I can show them some of the roadmap and I can talk to them about their user adoption and their volumes. But so what? Like, how does that differentiate you as a CSM? You know, I want the type of people that my customers want to hire like that. That's a good way to sort of look at these folks. And and I've had that many times And, and being, you know, not blowing smoke but that's the way i always approach being a csm i want to leave a room uh, leaving some kind of an impression and again the, the 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 best way i've seen that be done is to make uh that kind of engagement challenging like make it something that you know if you're asking about what the strategy looks like and a customer doesn't know what their strategy is well you know you don't want to go that's not like a haha but that's more of a, okay well let's build it together then we we clearly need a structure for this relationship so let me help you wor- work through that so you know again all of it starts with earning the right to do that but as soon as you have it it the process just changes quite dramatically yeah absolutely is there anything that you try and teach in terms of that earning the right to do that or is that just yeah i mean you know there's multiple um structures that can be used one of the most effective um i've come across before is a is a training methodology uh called i think it's command the plan um it was a a us-based sales training firm um i can't remember the name of the company but they, they used to teach this kind of model of um uh you start with uh, the value prop of you as a software and of what the customer actually bought you for in the first place and how that links to something that matters to the customer. So there was a lot of pre-prep work. And if you didn't have any one of those three answers, then that was the number one thing you asked when you went in. Um, it, it was called a value pyramid. It was, it was effectively a pyramid that started with the value to you, you the, the industry, the customer, the individual within the customer base, the customer's customer. So it was quite nicely sort of a, a flow. And, and, and one of the things that it certainly helped me to do was just generally think about the connectivity between all those things that matter and do I actually have the answers? Because if I don't, then I know where I'm going to start. Another really good um, aspect to it that I'm, I'm going to start to implement here is the concept of a pre-EBR NPS question. So before you go in there, um, as part of the QBR, uh, you ask on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to anyone that's going to be in the room? And that's the first slide you start with. Now that to me is, is pretty powerful because that's at the end of the day all you care about, right? Um, so long story short is find those questions or those processes that that center the conversation to a level of focus that you know you're not going to come out of there with 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 superficial information now that customers sometimes just lie 
about how healthy the relationship is. You have to accept that. But at the very least, doing this is is better than assuming or, you know, working on, on uh, you know, gray areas again that we all do. It's interesting, actually, as well. You linked it back to like that sales type training with the commander yeah. plan because sort of my thoughts like just over the course of doing these podcasts is there's potentially a bit of a skills gap within customer success because as it has evolved from essentially account management and client services, if you're on the client services side where perhaps maybe it could be argued that it's been more reactive in the past, CSMs are lacking those sort of questioning skills that typically do come from having a sales background in terms of like probing. I've done spin selling in the past, which is great just to get to the sort of um, core of of what's important to the customer. So, uh, yeah, would, uh, I don't know if there's any sort of other things that you've recognized yeah, as, as maybe that, gaps. But, but that's it. I, I, think, I think we've moved from a world of account management where, where, you know, customers don't want to feel like they're being sold to into renaming account management into client services, which we still had the same quotas, we still had the same end goal. And it just felt even seedier, to be honest, because we're selling ourselves as these kind of relationship trusted advisors. And then we're trying to get you on the hook for another upsell. And now we've moved into customer success, and it's like we've 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 veered the whole other side, where we're into these these kind of you know um, uh, phrases that that just don't really resonate with me. So you know we're now into you have to be nice, you have to be a, a um, uh, it, it's all relationship driven. Um, I hear the word human a lot at the moment, and it's like you know. It, it, let's not apologize for what our job is. And, and I use the phrase on, on Wednesday, like we're, I see myself as a guardian of a customer investment, right? That's fundamentally what we're here to do. And it's like any good working relationship. You don't have to like somebody to respect them and think about like what the respect aspect is. And it is usually that that person is a significant net contributor to your day-to-day operations. Um, and that's the way I see it. So I think there is a huge amount of sales processes involved in CS a lot of us don't want to say that because we, we're creating, again, these big sort of silos of, oh, the handoff between sales and CS and, oh, where does upsell? Who? Nobody cares where upsell lives. The customer doesn't care where upsell lives. I don't care where upsell lives because I want us to upsell irrespective of where it comes from. What I care about is when we have the opportunity to speak to our customers that we're asking the right questions and we're driving some kind of outcome from those conversations. And it goes back to the basics and it goes back to exactly what you said. There is, this is, this is a, an opportunity management process in a different form under a different name, but it's the same thing, right? And if you don't have discovery and if you don't have a champion and if you don't know how to risk forecast and if you don't know how to account plan, you're not going to renew, right? Now, if you go out to dinner with this person, if they speak at conferences, if they give you 10 out of 10 in NPS, you might renew, but there's no guarantee about that. And I've seen so many customers who are quite happy to, to go to uh, our summits or whatever. And, and renewal time comes along and they absolutely slam you. You know, it's, it, 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 it's just the correlation there is, I, I've seen, pretty consistent. Whereas if you know your portfolio based on these criteria, you have a path to a lot more of a straightforward uh, end game, I feel. Yeah, I think you make a good point because if you then link that back to the way that sales has always been, you know, you don't hear people saying that, oh, all salespeople are always nice and they always yeah. make friends with everyone. Yeah. To your point, you, like, if that were the case, no one would ever be successful. Absolutely. The best sales guys are, are, are they, don't, they don't worry about stuff like that. Now, they're not absolute, you know, 
I'm not going to try not to swear on this, but <laughs> they're not they're not going to be just you know rude and belligerent. But you, the best salespeople I've ever seen are the ones that obsess about the process. And they're respected as well. Uh, they are respected because they obsess about the process and they understand you earn the right to a conversation. They understand that you can't just rock up and expect a customer to want to buy what you have. They understand customers' pain. They understand the competition. It's the obsession. It's the discipline. The best salespeople who do that do really well. And CS is no different. It is no different. Now, there's different types of engagement. So, for example, if you're managing 1,000 customers... You can't apply the same, you know, enterprise level or, you know, high touch velocity. But as a business, you can have that ethos where risk forecasting is still a priority, let's say. So, you know, you can risk forecast on a thousand customers, but you do it through technology or you do it through um, uh, data insights or BI or whatever. But if that's not your mindset, then then you're, you're just never going to get there. So I think as we look at uh, the CS orgs as a whole, you know, one of our North Stars is operational excellence. And, you know, when we talk and when I talk about operational excellence, that's one of the core tenets of that. It's like we, we know our stuff and, and that's not questioned, but we also obsess about it and we don't let that bar slip. Yeah, makes complete sense. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, one of the things I was then going to ask sort of in, in relation to that is then how the team is currently set up or how you've experienced different teams yeah. across different orgs. So um, you mentioned things like enterprise and how they might have different um, responsibilities and stuff like that. But... Um, how is the team currently structured and what sort of went into that decision-making process? Yeah, we're, we're in the process of doing that right now in, in total transparency. So at the moment, we're structured with uh, managed portfolios versus unmanaged. Um, but we're moving into a world of, of, again, like I said to you, we've got a, 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 an amazing group of customers and we are just going to split them out um, based on variables that make sense to me. Um, that's TBD. Um, so in a lot of instances, you know, the, the standard segmentation by what they pay. Um, I'm not a massive fan of that, uh, mainly because I just think a lot of it comes down to potential rather than what they're doing right now. Um, and I've, I've always felt like you miss enormous potential if you don't apply an enterprise treatment to a customer who, you know, is not willing to commit right now, but in three years time could be your biggest customer. So we, <clears throat> we, I'm more inclined to, 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 to look at potential. How you measure that's a different story. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of examples where uh, account scoring, for example, allows customers through the sales cycle be defined as enterprise, mid-market, or SB. Um, I'll probably follow that path. I think we're going to probably follow that here as well. Um, but what that allows me to do is is almost treat you know customers agnostic of, uh, of of what they're actually paying, which I think is the right thing to do. And then from a portfolio size, that that's fluid. Um, you know, th there's no hard and fast rules in terms of what merits uh, an enterprise uh, ratio versus a, a mid-market. Um, I, I don't base it on revenue. Um, I base it on uh, account numbers because revenue for me has always uh, restricted my ability to move things around. Um, it's, it's a really difficult arbiter of, of how engaged you can be if you, if you base it on that. Um, so, for example, you know, every CSM needs a 1.8 million ACV. Like, how many customers make up that 1.8? It could be one, it could be 10. Um, you have to apply a lens of, are they, are they engaging with us? Is there potential? Do they want to work with us? Um, are they at risk? Are they not at risk? You know, some customers don't need a CSM, and it's okay to say that. You know, we, we, I, I, I managed enterprise books in the past and had six customers, and probably four of them didn't really need to talk to me ever. Um, it's hard to admit that, yeah. 
but sometimes that's true. I was going to say on that, actually, it's interesting because it's one of those things, again, where you could be trying to give maybe a high-touch service to an enterprise customer. They may not need that service. Absolutely. But it's almost being afraid to ask that question. Again, like, how, like what service do you want yep. from us? Absolutely. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the discipline and the confidence to ask those kind of questions because, you know, it's not easy to go back to your boss and say, they don't need me, so I'm going to spend my time elsewhere. Now, a confident leader will say that makes sense based on your segmentation process and based on your logic um but most will say absolutely not because if my boss asks me what's going on with xyz and i say that i'll get in trouble right so it 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 just comes down to creating the environment for csms to be owners of their business of their own business but not owners of the customer that's the most important thing because there's so many component parts to a successful customer. This whole CSM zone, the customer, <clears throat> is, is nonsense. You own, the, you own your business, and you treat it like a P&L. There's ins and outs, and you have to forecast accordingly and upsell accordingly. So I think that's really, really important. And, and that's one thing I've always driven in our teams and my teams, is I want people to take huge risks, and I want people to get crazy creative. But that doesn't give them a license to get flexible and loose with how they control their business. Yeah, I think you make a good point there, and it's one that's come up previously around, like the, I guess the phrase is owning the moment yeah. uh, rather than the, being responsible for the whole customer. Yeah. Um, so as you say, there will be certain sections throughout the customer's journey that the CSM owns. There'll be parts that the, the CX team own, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 a, it's an interesting one. Yeah, because a lot of the theory focuses on stuff like that, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's two layers above uh, where, you're, where I personally tend to focus, which is, like we said, the basics. It's interesting actually as well because I quite like the idea of giving a CSM pretty much the flexibility to manage their book of business. If a CSM has a particular set of KPIs, sometimes it can drive activity for activity's sake. Yep, absolutely. So how do you structure perhaps maybe the way that you measure teams you <laughs> so, have KPIs? Uh, or? That's, a, that's, a, uh, I, that, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> put it in its basic terms. At scale, it's very straightforward. It is a technology-driven activity, right? You do need to know um, the volume, the activity, the, you know, you need to make assumptions. But at mid-market to enterprise, the first question I ask myself is, what is what I'm trying to measure for my benefit or for the CSM's benefit? And 90% of the time, <clears throat> everything I've seen is for the benefit of reporting or the benefit of leaders or the benefit of visibility. It's not for a CSM's benefit. Like none of my guys will come in, open up the laptop and think, oh, I've got to update seven fields. This is really helping me. I want to give them the maximum possible flexibility and fluidity to do their own job, train them well to do it and set some guardrails that allows me to know that we're not going off kilter. But those guardrails are based on what I know make customers successful, if that makes sense. So for example, we're building it now and we're gonna have probably about four things, fields that I want my CSMs to fill in. And that's probably it. I wanna know when the last meaningful interaction was, and it doesn't have to be a QBR, EBR, but they need to be confident that it was a meaningful interaction. I wanna know that they have a qualified champion and we're coaching them as to what qualified actually means. It's not someone who'll pick up the phone or go out to lunch with you. It's someone that you've tested and has given you something in return and that you know are really champions. 
The third one are we have eight payment dimensions here. We call them payment dimensions, which are just really the drivers of value, the outcomes, you know, so it's, it'd be the equivalent of, well, I don't know, every software has them, but, you know, they're, they're the things that we know that if we're achieving and benchmark well against, customers are, are pretty healthy. And then the last one is really, um, I'm thinking about some form of a, a, a loose kind of um, success plan. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm very reticent uh, on that because again I'm trying to figure out like am I doing it for me or am I doing it for really the customer but they're the core areas so so that's that's probably four fields that I'll ask the guys to 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 keep on top of outside of that they have remit to do whatever they have to do and I'm not going to enforce a, a quarterly business review or a monthly checking call uh, all I care about is is the end state and how you get there is kind of up to you um, now people will will say okay but you got to have a process you got to have consistency i don't you don't have to have consistency of engagement you have to have consistency of outcome and that's the thing that i care the most about i'm not going to get into trouble if i have 99% retention rate you know i'll get into trouble if i have a wonderful ebr process and a 50% retention rate and from a customer's point of view if they're at that rate the ebr process is immaterial anyway so it it, it could look great again a uh, as a consistent process, but they're not renewing. So it's a fine balance between those two things. But the number one thing that I have seen everybody obsess about is this whole business of tracking, 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 tracking. I do not pay enterprise CSMs to be told in five steps how to put together a QBR because a customer's called in and they're at risk. If I'm paying them to do that, they're in the wrong job. So I would encourage everybody to think um, like that from an individual level and a leadership level, I would love, and I love, uh, one of my CSMs, Alemi, the other day, I, I just walked past her desk and I was looking at, she was working on something, it looked really interesting, she, she kind of devised her own health process uh, in terms of last, last contact, one or two little um, engagements within, the, within the, 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 the product and something else, and I just asked her to forward it on to me, you know, and, and that's the kind of thing that I love. Now, we will have a health score, and, and that will be the health score, and it'll be based on a combination of the four things I just told you, plus some activity within the platform, but, but it, it's not going to be cumbersome for my CSMs. That, that's for me. Like, that is for me. But, but I'm not enforcing my need for control or my need to, make it to feel good on them because I want them talking to their customers and I want them in the field. Now, I will have a very, very rigorous training pro process, which we will not veer from because I know that works. Um, but the actual tracking is is something that I, I I'm not obsessive about. Yeah, I think the, the the meaningful engagement thing for me especially resonates. I think you know going back to your point, Dan, around having set KPIs in terms of you need to do a minimum of 25 calls a, a year with a certain client. It, sometimes for me, I just think yeah. going back to the sort of provocative nature as well. Like, why am I doing that call? If the client is just getting calls from me and I'm saying, "Hello, it's Alex. How are you getting on?" You know, they're going to be sick of that after. Absolutely. We used to run calls. one. I remember back when I joined uh, uh, a company years and years ago and we had a minimum target of 90% response rates for our quarterly NPS survey. Um, and that drove the activity of just basically pissing customers off. <laughs> yeah. And I had many customers call me as an enterprise CSM who said, Pat, like, I really like using your platform. We're all happy, but it, you know, if you keep asking me this. <laughs> so I had to honestly say to him, look, I'm, com I'm, I'm comped on this. And I did. I, I was honest with all of them. And I said, look, it's, a, it's an internal competition. I want to win it. You do me a solid if you do it. And I wasn't, you know, 
blo- uh, 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 masquerading it as anything other than that. And, and, and again, that, that goes back to the kind of thing. So <clears throat> you think of a risk conversation. It's like, you know, as I coach the guys over there, stop trying to pretend like it's something it's not. You know, go into a customer and tell them, I'm on the hook for the retention of you, for y- retention of your revenue. And if I don't know what the prospect of that is, that makes my job really, really difficult. Now, I'm not asking you to commit to anything here, but I am asking you to give me a clear path as to where we sit right now in terms of the possibility of that happening. And I, I don't know any customer in the world who wouldn't say, okay, that's fair, right? But at the same time, once you know the answer, you then have to dig, dig, dig. And, and I think, you know, for me, that's, that's what I want to see in, in the kind of people that are in my teams, the, the, the confidence and the, the, the smarts, really, to just cut through all the noise. Uh, no matter what it looks like, that's the key. We're we're all worried about wh- how, like I say, how good we look or how sophisticated our processes are. When in actual fact, it, it's usually just covering up something else. Fantastic. I think I've, the biggest thing I've taken away there is just think like the customer. So what do they like? What would make their life easier? What would they? What, what conversation would they want to have with you? Yeah. Um, and their time. Uh, think yeah, about their time. Exactly. You know, twenty minutes of meaningful discussion is worth two hours of presentations. So think about that in the context of all the stuff we have to deal with and all the guesswork that we're involved in in terms of risk forecasting. It's crazy how much time we spend on it. So that would be my, my certainly my, my main advice to anybody who's struggling with that at the moment. I like it. And just the only thing I wanted to actually just question on was about the sort of product champion yeah. because, um, or just champion in general. It can be a bit of a buzzword sometimes, yeah. and you did mention about making sure that they've kind of given you something or you've got something in return. So, how would you define a champion essentially? Yeah, so we have a you know it's a very simple process, and a champion for me is somebody within the organization who wants you to win, um, who you've tested, and who consistently delivers for you. And by that I mean it's a give get. So if there's an internal piece of strategy that's going on that you've heard about or you don't know about and they give it to you without question, um, that's a good sign. Now, have they, do they do that on a regular basis? Have they proven themselves that they do want you to win within the organization? Are they connecting you with other people? Are they blocking you? Are they making sure that people know what your technology does outside of just their remit? So that's what we push and test a lot of because uh, there's a lot of guides within organizations, you know, people who'll say on the phone, okay, you probably need to speak to that guy. But a champion is someone who will make that connection consistently. Um, and that's what we push for. So we train on developing champions. We train on re-engaging champions. And we train on scenarios where we don't have any in the first place. So that's what we're doing actually next in two weeks' time. So we have a full day of that. So that to me is the most important aspect of it because if you don't have it, you're, you're, you're kind of flying blind. If you do have it, you generally find that you get the heads up on stuff quicker. Uh, and it may not be that they, they make things go away, but at least they give you time to figure stuff out. And I know I'm talking a lot about risk at the moment, but, but a lot of our business is the mitigation of risk, right? Upsell is a lagging indicator of doing stuff really, really well. Risk is the opposite. So I think it's really important that we acknowledge that as a business too and 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 you know just be really really good about dealing with it yeah and i guess you're all there's always going to be risk there because you're always competing for space like you said earlier and even if there's not risk if you're not paranoid again you're doing something wrong but in in a relatively healthy way don't want to make people <laughs> sick about it but but it's true right 
always always be paranoid at this business and i think that's where just constantly keeping your finger on that pulse of your champion testing your discovery questions and just always every interaction making sure that you're just digging something out yeah i think champions are a great way of um a lot of people talk about like gut feel and gut checks um, and stuff like that and champions are a great way of doing that like you said, if you if you have that good relationship with them, they're likely to be more honest with you and say, you know, like, as a heads up, I don't I don't think it's going very well. Absolutely, or, and test, test, test them, test them all the time, even tiny, tiny things, tiny things make a difference. But you'll see very quickly when that well goes dry, um, then it's not a champion. It's I don't know what it is, but it's certainly not that. So fantastic. So something we've uh, been asking about, and we've been keen to ask you this question as well from sort of our previous discussion yeah. um, when arranging this is just where you see CS uh, heading uh, in the future. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I've seen it evolve enormously over the last 10 years. Um, enormously. I mean, you look at, you know, Gainsight Conference last week or the week before, I think it was like 4,000 people were there. Something like 9,000 people going to the one in San Francisco. It's just incredible. But it also shows an incredible hunger for for knowledge. And what that tells me is it's a very segmented, fragmented market uh, in terms of skill sets, in terms of, you know, what a CSM actually is. And I think the, the, the danger with that is it does sometimes create that void where people are sort of clinging on to whatever they can um, to see what good looks like. Uh, as we said earlier on, I am a firm believer that there is no such thing as consistency or templatization or, or you know, seven easy steps to anything in this business you know your business as a csm better than anybody else um so i think that's an important one for me and this is why I, honestly i've shied away from doing any of this stuff up until maybe last week given that I, I i did a presentation a while back and it was just incredible just looking at the people in the room thinking you know there's a lot of people even to, uh, today thinking that you know i have all the answers or i have my shit together i i don't like i mean i really don't um i'm 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 dealing with this day to day but what I do know is that nobody else is going to know it as well as I do. Um, and there's a pretty good chance that if, I, if, I, if I'm smart about how I do things, some good things will happen and I'll concentrate on the basics and, and, and just not, never veer from that. So I think the, the market is going off in a, in a way that the industry is going off in a way where I use the phrase optimizing for optics. And I kind of, I don't know, th th there's elements of that that I see right now that it, it is about optics. It's about... You know, I don't know. It's just, it's about how it looks rather than what it's actually like. And I think there will inevitably be a path that will be taken that is, okay, what is the equivalent of command the message or command the plan, uh, the sales methodologies in CS, for example. Now, you have the high-level theoretical stuff up here, but then you have the practical application. And I think that's where the consistency can be. You know, building a champion is the same no matter where you are. It's just different types of champions, but it's the same thing. So that's one aspect that I, I, I haven't seen yet that I probably will, we will start to see. The second one is in terms of just software generally and the tracking and you know the management of CS. Um, I, from my own personal perspective, have seen a lot of variations. I think there, there will start to become a scale industry and, uh, and, and, and uh, an enterprise or high touch sort of industry, if that makes sense. Because for me, if I, if I look at what an enterprise software program will do uh sorry software stack would do for an enterprise it's very different to what it'll do for scale and i think you can play really really well in each one um a really good example is you know i i haven't seen any kind of software that can do 
you know, account planning well or any software that helps me with EBRs or QBRs. So I haven't seen one that actually can create an EBR for me that the customer can see, that they can input into, that we can track consistently over the course of 12 months other than like a couple of line items. Like these are the kind of things that, that you'll start to see potentially spin off because that's high value. That's high value. And I think what you'll start to see is those individual milestones within any customer journey being potentially pulled out and, and created in its own right, because that could be massively um, valuable. And I think then from a leadership perspective and just a, a, a CSM perspective in generally, in general rather, it's only going to get you know more high profile. Um, it's only going to get more complex and more complicated. Um, but I do think it's going to get a lot more uh, perceived to be a lot more valuable as, as you know, the next five or ten years uh, uh, play out because SaaS is going nowhere. Um, in actual fact, uh, from my experience, it's, it's moving more into um, the world of CS and moving more away from the world of, let's say, your standard net new bookings. So you look at product-led growth, for example. I mean, most of these companies can operate without a sales team. So, you know, CS is the growth engine. And that's a really exciting one for me as I look at how that's kind of evolving, especially when you look at, you know, companies like AppDynamics uh, sold, you know, two years ago, I think it was, you know, their, their whole model was based on try before you buy um, and, and, and get you so ingrained in an organization that the CTO has no choice but to look at an enterprise contract. Like that, that's kind of, it'll be interesting to see where our profession goes with that but we know it's needed. It's just what form is it needed in? Does that become support? Does it become professional services? Is, is, is it a true CSM? Or are we moving back more into an account management slash CSM kind of model? But I think they're the, they're the areas that I see, um, that I'm seeing a lot of right now. Um, but the big one is, is, is just the opportunity, I think, that CSMs have to sort of chart their own course in terms of how they manage their own business. And, and the advice I give everybody is just, don't don't get don't get um, swayed by what you see. Use it as as uh, guidance, maybe, but but don't look at something and think, okay, that just looks so much better than what I'm trying to do that I have to do that because that just creates the same stuff over and over again. Uh, yeah, I think I think um, just thinking about that as well, it's, it's sometimes like you can have loads of different theories, and it's almost the same in business. If you think about when you go to university and you do a degree, perhaps yeah. in business management. They give you loads and loads of theories of like how to run the optimal business, which can sometimes stop you bit from being inventive yourself and actually just looking at your customers and understanding what works best for me as opposed to what works best for someone else. And I can kind of see where you're sort of heading with that in terms of the industry. At the moment, everyone's looking to other people for answers, yeah. whereas sometimes the answer is probably with you in terms of just like you say, look at your book of business. Yeah do the basics and be inventive with your approach and test. Yeah. And take it, take supports that, but it certainly doesn't lead that. The problem I see right now is it's leading that. Um, the advice I give to anybody is look at your most successful customer and break it down into its five component parts. What are the five things that went really well over the life of that customer? And that's your game plan. Like those things will generally do well in every customer that you have. And we don't do enough of that because we're just worrying about, you know, managing tracking and time management and, and health scores and, but like, what were the five things that happened with that customer? And if you can answer that question, you're you're 90% of the way there. The next bit is just to do that repeatedly over and over again. Yeah, I think for myself, the um, the main sort of advice I'll take away, especially from this episode, is 
uh, taking it back to basics. I think that's a, definitely a theme that's come through from your answers. I think, um, and again, linking back to what you said in terms of what will happen next with CS and, and what you just said, Dan, there's um, lots of different, you know, there's a pyramid for everything in CS. There's yeah. a quadrant for everything. Yeah. There's a health score for everything. Yeah. Um, but as you say, uh, as both of you just said, really, take it back to basics, look at your own environment, your own customers, and, and take the best step for that. Um, and then I guess the other bit is then to never stop asking questions. Yeah, well. discipline. Just have the discipline to never stop asking questions and to always leave a room feeling like you've achieved something out of that conversation. And that, that, that to me is just enormous. Uh, very, very simple, but very difficult to do. Um, but usually when you do it, again, usually kind of good things happen. And even if they don't, at least you know where you stand. Yeah, true. Fantastic. So I think just the last question that we've got is... Um, around what your advice would be for somebody looking to build their career as yeah. a CSM or a CS leader even? Well, I think as a CSM, it's just be very, very proactive. Um, think about yourself as a brand. Um, and I know it sounds a little bit callous, but you know, it's really important that when you're in an organization as a CSM, you have access to customers who are doing some cool stuff that you can sometimes help influence and sometimes it's just luck. But make sure that you're consistently communicating that within the organization, but not in a way that looks as if it's about you, but it is about the customer and it's about the business as a whole. The second is, is bring the customer into the business. Find out ways to get your customers to do presentations, to do uh, lunch and learns, to, to, to be exposed to the, the guts of the company and vice versa expose the company to these type of customers as well. And I think stuff like that is just very powerful. Um, and then the second thing as an individual contributor is try to, to do what we just talked about today. Own your own business. Keep it really, really simple. Keep it incredibly disciplined and make sure that you don't just do things because that's the way they've always been done. Um, you know, innovation by its very nature is the opposite to doing stuff the same way. And, and that's what I worry about right now is that there's a lot of stuff being done very similarly using, this, using the terminology that sounds like it, it's good, but it is it is so hard to do. Be one of those people. And again, people like me will see you coming a mile away. Um, and that's critical. And as a leader, I would obsess about encouraging that kind of behavior. I would obsess about making sure that people know that if you want to get in trouble, you won't do stuff like that rather than I don't want you to come to me with risk or I don't want you to come to me like I expect you to be strategic, you know, all of this kind of stuff. That, that doesn't work, right? create an environment where the bar is that you do take big risks, is that you do ask very difficult questions, is that you do challenge a lot. Now, that's hard to do as a leader because most of us are worried that people are better than us um, and could do their job better. And, and you know what? Good leaders, that is the case. There's, you should have four or five people who can do the job better than you um, because if you don't do that, it's not, you're not doing your job right. But if you create that kind of environment... Again, that's pretty magical. You know, the, the, those kind of sessions, those, those internal EBRs, QBRs, are, they're phenomenal because you just have people who are not scared to say what the status quo looks like and ask for help. And then as you go up the chain, you apply the same logic in terms of branding CS to your superiors. I use the phrase, hold a mirror up to the organization. Your job as a leader is to do exactly that. We say we're customer-centric. What does that actually mean? Don't just sit there and wait for that answer. Create that answer. Okay, let me tell you what I think it is. I'm going to create a monthly uh, presentation for our customers to come in. We're going to do a cab. If you're not marketing, if you're not going to pay for the cab, well, then I'll ask one of my customers if we can do it on their side. Like, don't just wait for this stuff to happen. Um, and that's, again, very, very powerful. 
um, because people see that. Um, and you're a doer, right? You're a doer. No presentation in the world will ever match getting a customer in front of a CEO uh, and having a real meaningful conversation. So just treat it like that and take every opportunity you can. Fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Okay. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining. Sorry, it was a bit ranty at times. and uh, I thought it was great. But I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually quite pumped up now. I'm, I, I feel I'm going <laughs> to do things a lot different because obviously like, some of what you were saying is so true. And um, I know like even myself, like, there's certain things where I, I may disagree with things and I, and I don't challenge it. Yeah, you just and accept it. And, and you kind of just do accept it. And I want to certainly look at my approach. And, yeah. And yeah, as you say, just like why are we actually doing this activity? Just test stuff, like test stuff. And ask, and, and you know, it might be that your your boss has a really good answer for it, and then great, okay, we all know where we stand. That just gives you context. And if he doesn't, then you also know where you stand. But it's their reaction to to that challenge is is what really is most telling, rather than the actual what what people say. It's it's why and how they react to it too. So you know, every productive environment has to be based on just a very kind of uh, openly, uh, productively challenging pretty much everything, right? Yeah, definitely. And even with customers, just making sure, like, again, just think about their time um, and things like that. So, yeah, fantastic. Right. And I, I hope we can do this again in the future. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah and sure. it was really great to do this. So, uh, um, thank you for your time. Really yeah, enjoyed thank it. Thank you as well. Great speaking with you. Cheers, All right. Cheers. Thanks, guys.